We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal fans left in mass confusion as they feel emotion they can only describe as not sad. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And we are talking about a victory. That's right. It's the thing where the Arsenal score more goals than the opposition. Uh, we'll try to dive into the specifics of how that works in a moment. Um, we're back. We're back with content. We had a pre-match show on YouTube that is still up. You can watch it. It is video content. Mm, uh, tasty. There's some Patreon stuff out there. Clive's full-throated defense of the manager uh, in the wake of Dave savaging him, and we cut Dave adrift from the podcast forever. Um, all that good stuff. There's uh, I did a little solo pod on there, which uh, it, it says here is the uh, least desired content in the history of the Arsenal Vision podcast. It's okay. It's all good. Um, we've got a win to discuss, and that's what's really important. We are doing this live, so if you are listening live right now, you are hearing the podcast as it is being recorded. However, if you are not listening live, you are currently hearing the podcast. Um, so really, it's all the same. And here doing the podcast is Tim. You can find him on Twitter. It's Roberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. And Clive. Clive is back after uh, after his absence was hotly hotly missed and complained about. Clive is on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yes, your your equanimity, your your insight, and certainly your maybe slightly more upbeat spin on things. Your sanguinity is that sanguinity? Sang- what is it, Tim? Sanguinity? Sanguinous? Um, I- sanguine. I I don't know actually. So let's go with sanguineness. If yes. it doesn't exist, it does now. You know what? Let's go with me and Tim are going to sort you out. Let's go with that. <laughs> I like, okay. I want to be sorted out. So that we, we have to dive in right away with, I think, maybe arguably the most important point of the whole night at the Emirates. Uh, you guys were both at the Emirates, so you can really talk about this with great detail. Tim, um, 
you know, I, I think there's a lot. We could talk about the strikers. We could talk about um, the formation, how it worked, you know, the way we defended early, the way we came back into the game. But I think what we have to talk about is um, the Emirates Stadium attempting a light show in broad daylight. <laughs> what, what's that all about? Yeah. Yeah, it, it didn't quite work. And uh, t- to be honest, it didn't really cross my mind either um, beforehand. Like, I think um, maybe because the last time we had like a midweek home game, um would have been the last round of the europa league and it was probably you know it probably was actually dark at eight o'clock um then so yeah it it didn't occur to me until it was going on and i and i kind of thought yeah this hasn't really worked but never mind they you know there was a really nice kind of display with the uh biodegradable bags and all of that um and uh, (laughs) were they biodegradable i I saw a tweet going around saying we're destroying the environment yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're, I'm, I'm assured they're biodegradable. Um, and I took about six of them home because I'm like that. Um, <laughs> You're going to put but, lunch meat in also, there? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm just going to set fire to them all. No, um, and and they, they really doubled up um, to kind of cover some of the empty seats as well. So that was great. Oh, were, were there quite a few of those? Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, there were actually. It was so... Um, I, some of the logistics around this like as a season ticket holder you get a certain amount of cup credits a season and this means we've exceeded our cup credits so there's an opt-out for season ticket holders Um, otherwise it just gets added to next season's price so I'm guessing some season ticket holders decided to opt out and they just weren't bought but um, yeah there, there were quite a few empty seats it must be said yeah well that's a shame but you know what the people who were there were treated to quite the spectacle and Clive I think uh, in the pre-match show, Scott and I talked about the lineup and its sort of conservative nature. And that the problem for me has been when we played a back three, it's not that we can't attack effectively. It's that that midfield two, and in this case it was Ganduzi and Shaka, have sat deeper. And when it was Ganduzi El Neni against Palace, for example, Ozil had to drop really deep. Aubameyang and Lacazette got cut adrift. And as a result, there wasn't a lot of coherence or cohesion between the, the departments. The defense and the midfield were kind of cut adrift from the attack. You're really only attacking with three when when you line up that way. Um, and obviously the wingbacks can make four and five when they're able to get forward. But the big normalizer, the big equalizer, is if you press and if you put everybody in the opposition half and you really contest in their side on their side of the pitch. Early in the game, we we weren't able to really do that. And you know, the beginning of the game was sort of reminiscent of what we've seen lately for me, which is just a team of players sort of trying to figure out what the plan's going to be, um, having changed it so much from game to game. So for you, at the beginning of the match, what were some of the things that weren't working or going wrong that led to us kind of being on the back foot and being under pressure early? Um, I don't think it was systemic. Um, I think your your, your views on the back three, are, I, I think, are all... They're slightly wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> I think. Um, what? Wait, what I just, I just want to get this straight. Am I, am I wrong about something? <laughs> There's a five hundredth time for everything. <laughs> with a, with a back three, it, it's a, it's a formation that's based on your position on the pitch. So you're not, you're not all wrong either, because you're right. It works better when you positionally are more aggressive, right? So when you're positioning on the pitch more conservative then your players are in the wrong area of the pitch to take the advantage of your position in wide areas. As a starting position, for example, if you push those people up, suddenly you're not really attacking with three, you're attacking with five. 
right? So you put the onus on people to, on the outsides, to really be quite athletic, to really do two jobs. So that's the real trick of it. Your wing backs are your temperature gauge of where the formation is. But really your back three and where they stand and how they want to play and how aggressive they are to push up the pitch, to push the whole unit up the pitch, to reduce our offensive distances, that's when it works. And I think at the start of the game, we just played. I think sometimes with the back three, if teams give you those passing lanes to play, you get this full sense of security as you pass along your your centre-backs. And I think at the start of the game, I just felt we just started. And I felt that Valencia came out and imposed themselves on us. And regardless of what formation, they came to play, they came to score. I think they came to chin us. Bang! Let's do something early. And... They were, they were also quite tall, quite physical, and there were a lot of centre-backs on the pitch, which and I looked down from the stand, and we looked small, we looked short, we looked underpowered. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, we, we're in a bit of trouble here if we get a set-piece. And um, they were close on a number of occasions. So I don't think it's systemic. When I when I see a back three, I, I, I'm, you know, it's quite interesting. A lot of teams are doing it now, and it's almost like when you get to the busy end of the year, it gives you a level of, insurance in the back door but it also gives you a, a sense of aggression going out the front door i think when points are mean 10 times more than they normally do in in sort of august compared to you know april may then really it's it's a formation that gives the coach an insurance policy but also allows them to get two strikers on the pitch a number 10 or two number eights pushing in behind so I understand why he goes to his formation um, a lot more, and I don't see it as a negative. However, if teams impose themselves on you and push you back, then suddenly your ability to exit and get out can be challenged, and it really revolves around one or two players to get you out. And for us, that's Ozil or using the wide area. So, yeah, I think it's at the start of the game we were slightly disconnected. But I think that was Valencia's good play and our tentativeness from the previous games, our lack of confidence maybe, um, that really, really signposted that. I mean, just staying with you for a second, Clive, do you think that some of it was also that I I felt that Shaka and Ganduzi started this game really slowly, both of them. Um, They were pretty conservative with their passing. I thought their footwork, you know, which is not really their, either of their strengths, and in particular Shaka was was kind of poor. you know, and they just didn't really have a feel for their positioning yeah. on the pitch. And so I thought for that first 20 okay. minutes, just to give you some stats for a second, you know, after about 20 minutes, we had completed 102 passes to their 33. We had zero shots. They had five shots, two on target, three big chances and a goal. So, yeah. you know, it's not that we didn't have some possession, but it felt very um, lateral. Sterile. Yeah, and, yeah and, sterile. and I thought it was because Shaq and Ganduzi took a while to grow into this match. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also it's the back three as well. We were, we were just playing. We were just playing football, just playing, passing the ball amongst each other. We weren't really playing with a, with a real purpose to penetrate. And I thought, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I'm quite a big fan of Shaka actually, but he is, he is, he, I'm not sure if you're going to get to him later earlier, but he is not looking great, mate. He, he you're really seeing isn't. some of those flaws in his game now, right? I mean, earlier in the season, they were um, accentuating the positive. Now I think we're sort of seeing some of the negatives more strongly. I think with Shaka, you have to bear in mind that at most of the starts of seasons, I think he's a slow starter. Then he gets into a massive groove and he ends the season strong. He just started the season slowly, got into a groove. We won games when he's on the pitch. And he's picked up a couple of injuries since international break. And I do wonder about his 
you know, his physical fitness and what he's carrying at the moment. I think it's very important, particularly with Ramsey not being there. And I wonder if he's playing half injured because he was doing some silly things on the ball. There was a bit last night where he tried to, he lost his pictures, he received the ball, he tried to run with it. And they basically had the next five minutes because we lost it. I think they might have scored in that five minutes of set pieces. So I was not impressed with him. And it was quite interesting that when Guedouzi got substituted, I felt for a moment they picked the wrong one. And um, and the reason why Shaka stayed on was his experience and he, you know, he, he's, he's a serious football player that can manage moments of adversity, for etc. But if you're looking at pure play, his play was not very good, and it was not, it was not, you know, Guendouzi was not inferior to him. That's what I'm saying. He was not inferior in any which way. I think it's a major point of issue for me, Shaka's form, because when he's right there, Arsenal are much better, and we need him to be there very, very quickly. And I wonder what he's carrying, because he doesn't look great across mm. the ground. He is, he's getting robbed, he's getting red. He's looking tentative. He's not moving things off one touch. His his passing is not accurate, and we all accept his failings. But we know he can fizz that ball. He can turn it around the corner to the left side, particularly, and he's not as accurate as he once was. So, is it form? Is it fitness? I'm not too sure, but he's he's definitely dropped off a level. Yeah, and I, I will say you can sometimes see with Shaka when he knows something's wrong with his game or when he's not coming to terms with the game because that's when the mental side of it really goes for him and he starts fouling more and you know lashing out more and being a little more rash. He was doing a lot of defending with his hands, you know, like grabbing and holding and tugging and you know sort of swiping yeah. at people. He had one where he lost the ball and then he just you know kicked the guy to pieces and. I feel like you see that more with Shaka when he's not in the groove, when he's not comfortable. And so they get the early goal. They had threatened. I mean, you know, it's funny. We're going to wind up talking about this as a very, very positive performance in the end, I think. But, you know, much like the Napoli tie, there were chances that went begging. And Tim, right before the goal, there's the low cross into that uh, famous corridor of uncertainty. And thankfully, it was uncertainty for the uh, finish because it went over the bar somehow from about a yard out. That's a really, really big miss from that position. Um, as it turns out, it was a warning shot. I mean, what did you feel about that first period of the game before we break down the, the goal itself? Yeah, I, I thought we looked um, low on confidence, a bit nervous. And uh, I think Valencia probably anticipated that that might happen. Um, and yeah, as Clive said, they really wanted the away goal. And in the end... I think Valencia made a mistake because um, they seemed happy with that away goal. Um, I, I I wrote about this last week that um, we've been quite fortunate this season. I think that uh, basically what's going on at home is almost the exact opposite to what's going on away in that our results are so good at home that teams sit off of us and don't go for us. And that really, really helps us out. Um, because honestly, I think if more teams had a go us go at us at home, I, I don't think that record would be quite so good. I think Arsenal kind of struggle with teams that take the game to them. Um, and then away from home, our record's so bad, everyone just says, well, why not? Um, you know, they've got a glass jaw there. And Valencia, for that first 15 minutes, I thought the tie was getting away from us, um, to be mm -hmm. honest. I thought, yeah. you know, that goal was coming. And after that, I thought, this could be 2-0 um, in a minute and that, that'll be, you know, not completely over, but that'll be a very, very long way back. And and it, re it really, really could have been. And then 
it, it's weird actually this game went kind of the opposite to what the last few games have been which is the last few games have been that Arsenal have started okay enough you know not setting the world alight but doing roughly what they should be doing uh, um, a fair level of competence and then they concede a goal you know maybe out of nowhere like that Wolves I think Wolves scored with their first shot um, I didn't see the Leicester game, so I don't, I don't really know. I, th- I think they had a few chances before that, but you know, Palace scored with their first shot, and 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 then you see Arsenal's performance turn. This was the other way round. We we started really badly. We could have been a couple of goals down, and then it's us that get a goal out of absolutely nowhere, where we've put no pressure on. Um, we you know we hadn't forced it at all we just get a moment and we capitalize on it and then Valencia were the ones who shrank after that um at 1-1 and because when we got to 1-1 I thought right few but if Valencia keep <laughs> playing like this we're going to concede again yeah and uh, and they didn't they kind of stopped playing and they obviously thought I think you know perhaps they could have got more than they've kind of bargain for because I imagine given the way they played they thought let's go out early rattle their cages see if we can get the away goal and then keep it tight and maybe win one nil or draw one one I think they could have got more um, out of this if they'd tried but once it went to one one they kind of stopped and they tried to shut up shop and I, I really I'm glad they did um, but I really don't think that was the right thing for them to do so I, I thought it was a really bad start it was really ominous and the first goal completely expected um it was it was really coming and i thought oh god this this might be 2-0 in a minute and you know when your confidence is already low and the crowd gets on your back because the crowd were getting on backs um quite early i mean that's the emirates crowd that's what they do um nowadays and hey, sometimes podcasters and it, do it too just <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it, it got very tetchy very quickly um because people enjoy uh that's what a lot of people go for um frankly they enjoy that side of it and um and and yeah and i thought oh god this could go really wrong and i i just had images in my head of being like three nil down after half an hour and people walking out and all of that and um yeah i i think you know it's too late in the season to say it's a season turner but that equalizer i think was a hugely significant kind of turning point in this little mini run yeah, it's funny because uh, I I did a little tiny quick podcast um for uh Patreon and and I mentioned you in it uh all good things saying, you know, that you would have been impressed with this because one of your big complaints recently has been that when Arsenal get punched in the mouth, when the game turns against us, we've folded. Yep. And and this really was the opposite. Let's just talk about the goal we conceded real quick, Tim though. Um you know, you watch a goal like that, and you're like, could we do this better? Could we do that better? I mean, Shaka gives the ball away for the corner, kind of needlessly. Yeah. Then yeah. he's caught flat-footed. Now, I'm not sure, how do you say it, Diakabe? Is that right? I mean, I'm not sure yeah, he can yeah. win that leap, frankly. What I kind of want to ask you about, though, is check. If Leno's in goal, do you think he gets to either the, the first ball or the second ball? And do you have any questions about the decision to go with check here? I mean... It all comes down to this. I don't see the point in the sentimentality. You know, he is going back to Chelsea at the end of the season. He's going to retire a Chelsea hero. I mean, no matter how warmly we'll think of him, and he is really a class guy, no no debating it. Are are we yeah. leaning too much into sentimentality and at a time when maybe that needs to be put aside? I, I'm glad you asked this, actually, because I, I 
kind of thinking about it a bit last night. So first on the goal, no, um, I, I don't think it's particularly the first ball. I, I think it's a really, really good delivery. It's really deep. It's really high and it drops um, at the last second. It's, it's really difficult to defend. And I, I think, you know, two burn Leno's on a ladder wouldn't have got to it. And I mean, check, that's not exactly a weakness for check. Um, you know, coming out and claiming crosses, and then yeah, it's it goes more back just across the speed or lack of speed getting across the goal. Yeah. No, I, I think the, okay, the height on it um, was, was too much. But as to the kind of sentimentality point, I I changed my view a little bit on this last night. I have to say because I've I've always been kind of all right with the idea of playing Czech. Like you know, gun to my head, I'd prefer to play Leno, but. It hasn't bothered me that much because I, I, you know, I don't, I still don't think Czech's a bad goalkeeper. I think he's a good goalkeeper, and I think in big games, um, particularly when you've got like a fairly rocky defence like ours, I, I don't mind Czech being there. I think Leno is the superior option at this stage, but I've, I've never thought it's so clearly superior that, like I, you know, I, I was angry about David Espina starting over Chesney in a, uh, sorry, Fabianski starting over Chesney in a cup final, even though. I didn't think Fabianski was a bad goalkeeper, and um, I was I was quite angry about Espina starting over Chesney in 2017, um, and and you know as to that, but but I kind of I sympathise with the managers on this right because I think it's you know having the the cup goalkeeper and all that because it's all very well saying yeah but you can't be sentimental for a final just drop them but if you're a manager and you go back on your word like that, that has long-term consequences. Um, so in the short term, yes, yeah. maybe it's the right thing to do, but you break a promise to a player you've made a promise to and every, and all of the team sees that, then that does have long-term consequences for you. And that has to be weighed up. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that Petr Cech tweeted last night, quite a beggy tweet <laughs> where I don't know if you saw it, but he was like, I'm one step closer to realizing my dream of like going out of my career of, with of a playing trophy. a second tier cup final in Baku with my, <laughs> with my second favorite team. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it, it was very like, I, I thought that was very pointed in that he doesn't quite feel secure <laughs> that it, that if we get to the final, it's definitely going to happen that he's almost like putting his bid in that the reason I changed my mind a little bit last night, is because on the ball, it's the, it's the distribution thing. Basically, every single time Czech gets the ball, we give it up. Um, well, and and even with his throwing, like he was throwing the ball really poorly as well, not just kicking it really poorly. And I, I haven't looked up his his completion rate, but every single time he got it, whether it was out of hands or on the floor, we were losing it. It was just coming straight back at us and. I that that's what I worry about more than he completed three of 17 passes for 17 percent success yeah yeah I mean that's that's a problem I think I think that's a problem and I think there's a part of me now that just says do you know what give him the Burnley game as his as his career you know his kind of career swan song and I'm sure that's not what he wants and I'm sure that's a difficult decision but you know if if we end up in the final I, you know, Frankfurt are a, a really kind of high pressing kind of, you know, a team who, who really goes for turnovers. And if we keep pumping that ball into Kante, if he keeps pumping the ball to Kante so he can give it to Hazard, 
um, you know, if we end, if we there and we play Chelsea, you know, no, we're it's going to be, be Frankfurt, under, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to be under pressure again and again, and I, 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 I would, you know, if we go through, I, I want to see Leno in the final, and uh, I, I didn't. I, I say I said that would have been my preference before, but I was relaxed about it. But now I'm a bit more like, nah, I want to see Leno in there if we're in the final. In a game where we had a lot of possession and Valencia weren't pressing particularly high up the pitch, not only did he only complete three of 17 passes, but he played one short. And it does look to me like he's been told at this point, you know what, Petter, you're, you're not great with the ball at your feet. You can go long every time. Because he does. He goes long every time, even when there's time and even when he has a man to go short to, he doesn't do it. And I think, to be fair to Emery, he said to to Czech, you know what? Play your game, which is good. And and you know what? Leno goes long enough, but Leno, I've said this before, he's, he's he's very calculated about when he goes long. And because he's good on the ball, like he's okay at inviting the pressure and then going over the top of the press and go like he's he's just very tuned in to this kind of. So even when he goes long, it's kind of because a bit of pressure has been invited and he's like, right, they've all pressed up. Now I'm going to go over them. And look, sometimes he just looks around and thinks, right, there's nothing on. So but crucially, he doesn't lamp the ball out of play Mm. and check does that quite a lot. Like we concede a lot like pretty much the best you can hope for from any kind of check kick is that we can see the throw in and um that, that's just not really good enough i mean if you go and you look at another game where we had a lot of possession for example like the newcastle game at home and i'm just picking one at random where you know we we had a decent amount of possession because we had a lot of possession in this game as well um you know leno completed 13 short passes i i, I just think there is a huge influence in how we build from the back um, yeah. And how we may, and the importance of possessions. You know, th- when when you're yeah. bad defensively, possessions are very important, and losing possession yeah. is very important. But okay, look, enough about Petr Cech because it's really not the story. The story is what happened after their goal. And Clive, you know, when I, when we did the pre-match show on YouTube, which you can still go watch slash listen to, it's a video thing. You can actually watch it, not just listen to it. Um, you know, I said in my prediction that I. I felt this was a game where Aubameyang and Lacazette had to carry us, where they had to step up and be the stars and, you know, stamp their their authority on the game. They are arguably two of our best players, if not our two best players. I mean, it's a close competition. They have not been in great form. And sure enough, when we needed them most, they combine for an ex- just an exceptional goal at the most critical time. So we can talk about their performance generally in a moment but let's just talk about the goal for a second walk me through that goal and and both of their roles in it yeah i mean they they have been our stars for a while now um their goal their goal stats are amazing and i think they are the big the big trick that we spent to try to carry through this sort of indifference squad they are the thing that's going to get us over the line if if we are going to get over the line we all we all recognize that our talents in the top end of the pitch but um I agree with Tim 100% about the importance of that goal. And I maybe didn't realise it until half-time when I, when I sort of went onto Twitter and I caught some of the the first 20-minute tweets and it was vicious, mate. It was really vicious and people were not very happy. I never sensed that so much in the ground where I was sitting. Um, but the way the goal was constructed was, was wonderful. And, and when the Bamiyan got put through, I thought, okay, you've... They've had a good time to drop off and run with you. You're not going to be able to run around them and get a left foot shot in. So what are you going to do? And he chops inside. 
and I thought Lacazette was very cute because he didn't overrun the ball. He waited, he slowed down, he slowed down. So Bamian could see him and then he could just side for the in. And it was almost like it was them two versus the world. You know what I mean? They just take on. Push the little button on the side, it silences the ringer, by the way. <laughs> okay, oh, someone's calling me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, um yeah. I didn't see that. So yeah. I can it literally was, um, hear it vibrating. That must be are you using the, the blue yeti microphone? I am, yeah. It does a great job picking up vibration on the table. I apologize. apologize. No, no, so, that's fine. I just so, wanted to make sure I pointed it out. Anyway, yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 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 basically it was wonderful efficiency from two strikers against their back three, back four, and the goalkeeper. I thought the goalkeeper was naive. I think he's a weakness for them. As is their number four, I thought he's a weakness for them. But they maximized that, and I totally agree. It's all, it's all came at the right time when we needed it. But I have to say, turning point, huge. And after that, I, I just felt they they lacked a bit of um, a bit of quality when it counted. I think they're a team that can be pressed. If I'm playing against them, I'm setting them up next time, I would definitely play in their half. I know football's a bit like that. It's territorial. But I would definitely play a pressing game. I didn't think they were that impressive in the centre of the pitch against the press. But if they get you in your half... They were missing their midfield to... technician, uh, uh, Francis Coughlin. He'll be back for the second leg. Yeah, exactly. If they get you in your half, they start to create you know, set pieces and crosses. I think that's an issue. They try to get us on a counter-attack, but we covered that really well with the back three, with Socrates and Gashelny in particular. But I felt we transitioned them quite easily. And um, and once we... I think we a little trick in this game, Eddie. I thought we came out after half time and the game sort of died for a bit. And I was quite surprised when Gunduzi came off for Torreira, but what Torreira did was just sped us up slightly. The Mkhitaryan came on and he sped us up even more. And I thought that extra sort of boost dragged a tired group of players towards that third goal. And in the end we got it. So um, I was, I think the front two are doing what we all know they can do. But they're doing it when it counts. They're doing it yeah. in semifinals, and you can only tip your hat off to them. Yeah, and I mean, they hadn't been doing it, if we're being fair. I think that's the problem. We haven't been getting enough from them, and a lot of times the front two hasn't worked for me, but they carried this game uh, to a large extent. The thing I loved about the goal, Clive, is Lacazette plays a beautiful ball into Aubameyang, who shows off that burst of pace that we maybe don't get to see enough um, to get to the ball. Really clever to cut it back onto his right foot and create an angle for himself. Lacazette's a long way off when he makes that pass. And the fact that he trails the play and keeps going and becomes available in the box for that pass. There are a lot of players who would make that pass, see Aubameyang's in, and kind of give up on the play. I think it shows everything about Lacazette that he's so hungry to get there and be available to score a goal that he winds up arriving just in time to get on the end of that and, and I think, tap it into the I think the it shows that they, they are a true partnership. They really are a front two. I, I think Abamyang, I think Lacazette at home can be the front one. I think Abamyang away can be the front one. But they are front two. They are they're old school. They're a front two. They both feel better when the other one's on the pitch. They can play wide. They can split distances and have Urza down the middle. They can play close. They can go one behind, one in front. They are a true front two with a balance of skills and a great relationship. And the only problem we have is we. We can't rest them. We can't keep them fresh yeah. by supporting them with something else. And that's the issue. So when they have, 
when you speak about form, what you're really speaking about is fatigue. And even in this game, they didn't look super sharp. They didn't look fresh. They were hungry and they showed desire. There were times they looked slow. There were times they looked quick. There were times they looked strong. There were times they looked weak. Time they executed, there were times they looked absolutely under tens. And it was a performance of desire to drag the team forward. But I do, they don't look fresh to me. You know, and it wouldn't surprise me if one is sitting on uh, on Sunday to make sure the other one is is fresh for the game in um in Spain next week Thursday. Yeah, and I I think I have to add to what you said. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to reap that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Time to, any anyone? No. To everything turn turn to no. Okay. Um. Anyway, yeah. Look, I think um. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So I got off track there. In fact, I, I think I was looking for the lyrics of a song and I wound up re- reading from Ecclesiastes. So <laughs> I might wind up <laughs> on a Bible podcast somewhere. <laughs> Apologies for that. Anyway. Um, yeah. Now, look, while we're praising these strikers, I think we also have to acknowledge that we're, there were some missed moments. And thankfully, I think it's Aubameyang's goal at the end that gets them off the hook for that. Both of them missed chances. Aubameyang had the one where, was it Shaka who put the ball over the top to him? Um in the box, and he he volleyed it into the ground and over the crossbar. Yes, when he maybe had yeah, a yeah. room. Yep. And then there's the Aubameyang cross. It's beautiful to to Lacazette, and he misses the header. Tim, you think he just takes his eyes off that one? I can't really tell. Yeah. Or was it sort of between a header and a and a, a ball he needed to kick, and he couldn't really decide? I couldn't couldn't tell what he got wrong there. Uh, no, neither could I. I I don't know if the defender maybe got a little nick on it, and but he certainly I think took his eyes off it, and because it went somewhere between his face and his chest without going into either of them. I I thought actually Lacazette had a really Abamyang game, um, which was I I felt like um, Abamyang had quite a Lacazette game as well. I felt like um, you know I had to check whether they were just like swap shirts. Or or something because Lacazette I don't think did an awful lot other than score two goals and miss two really presentable chances yeah, yeah I totally agree whereas I think Aubameyang was kind of everywhere um, which is really weird because it's almost mm-hmm. always completely the other way around mm-hmm. um, and, and, and uh, yeah I just found that really interesting even in like Lacazette's first goal it's kind of you know, Lacazette starts and finishes the move really, really well, and then you've got like the real like perspiration and the and and everything and the the desire from Aubameyang to set it up. It was it was it was very weird how they kind of just like went into each other. Mate, you know, you know, a bit like um how like dogs start to look like their owners. You know, it's it's kind of maybe they they spend that so is a much massive time together. insult to my dog, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> And and like, you know, maybe they just spend so much time together and like this is the footballing equivalent of finishing each other's sentences or not finishing each other's chances as the as the case may be. Yeah, maybe Lacazette just wanted to take a little heat off Aubameyang for missing. <laughs> the the second miss that Lacazette had or the, the grouping of misses, I actually think that one he takes less blame for because he gives the keeper the eyes really well and gets him to go down yeah, yeah. and then goes near post. But he maybe goes for power more than placement and and kicks it right into the keeper's foot. But I think he's unlucky. I think he makes the right decision there. And then the rebound of that is just a scramble. And he can't push it past the body. So the the first one, the missed header, actually, I think he misjudges. That, I think, is more of an error than that second one where he, I think he does well to give the keeper the eyes, get him to go down, and and is just unfortunate. And and obviously, like, because I was thinking in the kind of dying minutes of the game, I was thinking, how much are we going to regret 
that yep. um, because nobody, no, I, I like I'm not saying anyone feels comfortable at 3-1, but 2-1 with our kind of away record, I really, really don't think we even go into that as favourites. Um, whereas now you'd say definitely job not done, but we're favourites, whereas, you know, 2-1 and, you know, without wishing to preempt any incoming questions that you could see in the ground and particularly the manager, what the third goal meant, Um, you know, Emery ran around like a nutter when that went in. And I don't think that's just, oh, three ones better than two one. I think that's, that's an acknowledgement of um, how bad we are away from home. And, and so, you know, had that goal not gone in at the end, we, you know, even with because you know when Abamyang scores two goals and misses two sitters he doesn't really seem to catch many breaks in terms yeah. of the critical reception um whereas Lacazette's that's a good point got, yep mm-hmm. yeah whereas like Lacazette seems to have more credit in the bank um even though personally I, I think they're pretty much on equal footing in terms of um you know their overall contribution and I, I again I, I stress again I find it really weird this thing where we have to choose between them and i was i was thinking today but do liverpool fans do this with their front three do they all sit there and fight over who they who they like best out of salah Firmino, and and mane and you know do do like do chelsea fans fight over who they hate more out of higuain and Giroud? like i don't know like it it does it feels like a peculiarly Arsenal thing, but but yeah, like Abamyang has a ton of these games where he he had one against Rennes, you know, where he scored twice, but he missed two absolute sitters, and the, the most people's main takeaway was that he missed two sitters, whereas uh, with Lacazette, there's much more. Oh, he's he's a world class player, and 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 you know, I don't, I don't want to like. Um, piss on Lacazette's candle to make Aubameyang's burn brighter but you know what I mean I that's a great turn of phrase though (laughs) yeah yeah I I find it very interesting that this kind of dynamic that's going on and uh, particularly in the context of you know it was so obvious for so many years that we needed a pure like a really good reliable goal scorer up front and we've got one and and now no one really seems to like him that much which um yeah which is quite strange but but yeah you you know I, I think I think we can kind of let Lacazette off there because he do, he doesn't. I mean, I don't think he quite takes enough shots, but he does a lot of stuff that's very useful, kind of outside the box. So I I don't think it's like the habit of a lifetime for him missing chances like that. Yeah, and given the form we've been in, and given that we wind up finishing this three one, I think everybody can be happy. I know that when the Aubameyang goal yeah. went in, I stripped down to my enclosed panties and ran around the room like a crazy person. Um, you know what? Speaking of which, let's tell you about enclosed great place to get all of your uh, your sexy underwear and lingerie needs uh, taken care of. And so we'll uh, take just a brief break, step aside, let them tell you all about, well, let me tell you all about what makes them so special. So we'll tell you about the enclosed. You can buy some lingerie. We'll come back. We're going to talk about pressing. We'll get into some other individual performances and where we sit in the tie and what happens in the Premier League in light of our continued European exploits. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at The Enclosed, The 
E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D.com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month club. That's right. Just like a Beer of the Month club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from The Enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, The Enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. That's right. Do it now. And you know what else you can do right now? Continue to listen to this podcast. We're back and we are going to talk more about what was ultimately a wonderful result, uh, especially in light of how the game started. And Clive, let's talk tactics for a minute. So against Napoli, we imposed ourselves on them by pressing them and they really struggled to play out. And I thought that they were very sloppy in possession. They gave the ball to us a lot and we created most of our chances in transition. I think that's been the story of our season, frankly, that when we've been good, when we've been effective, it's not building from the back. It's not sustained periods of long possession, 20 pass moves like it was under Arsene Wenger. It's short, quick, transitional plays that come from effective uh, pressing and, and defending in the opposition half. I actually think, for as poor as we are defensively, I think the team has really become pretty effective defensively in the opposition half, just not in our own half. And we did it against Napoli. We haven't done it at all in the intervening Premier League games. We did it again against Valencia. And so the two questions I have for you really connected. One, were you impressed with the way we were able to defend front-footed, defend in the attacking half? And then two, do you think that maybe Emery had to make a decision? They said, I can't play this way in every game. We're going to play this way in Europe, and we're going to be a little more possession-oriented or sit a little deeper in the Premier League, and because we haven't seen this. We have not seen this aggressive pressing in the Premier League, but it worked to treat on Thursday. I think um, I think I saw some stats the other day that Arsenal have run more than any other team in the Premier League this season on average. So... Yeah, Koscielny looked like if there. he took one more step on the night, his legs are going to fall off. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that was almost... We need to call in the RSPCA for that one, right? He was really <laughs> looking. It wasn't. It wasn't good. It wasn't great. But, but what a hero! That's a separate topic, right? But I have to say, we are putting the work in. But no, we are. We have. We have. We have this impression that everyone presses all of the time. They don't. They press for periods where they need to take charge of the game. Football's becoming so organised now, so structured. People understand your moves. The only time to get you is when you have the ball. That's the time when you are open and in transition. And those players that can rob you off the ball and go two, three quick passes into the spaces that you give them are becoming incredibly valuable. When I take my 30,000 view of the season and the player that I feel has transformed this team slightly to the team that we've seen in previous years, has been the introduction of Torreira and how he plays and how he sprints to the ball, and how he has not taken away his primary skill of robbing people, 
and developed into an Arsenal player. He still does it. He still works back. If you add that, you know, I saw Ozil doing it last night on occasion. I saw the front two robbing people. It's the way of the modern game. We have to buy into it. We need more of those players that can sustain that for longer periods of time without getting injured. We really need that. In we need we need to up their energy and dynamic. Um, we're running, but it's the sprinting. It's not the distances. It's the repeat sprints. It's the ability to sustain that energy, having the squad depth to rotate those people, because you can't play like that every three days. Mm. You just can't. No one can. When you look at Liverpool's, they've got multiple sprinters in midfield. They're getting injured. They've had to rotate people around. They've got six to play in that in those three. And they move them around. They've probably got eight to play in that three position, actually, those three midfielders. And they rotate them. Naby Keita's just come back and now he's got injured. But look how long it took him to arrive. John Henderson's been in and out. Fabinho didn't start the season. James Milner comes in. Wijnaldum comes in. Sometimes they bring Shakiri in there. They bring Lalana in there. And they've got Oxley Chamberlain to come in. And they're all sprinters, athletic, get to the ball quickly, close down, press, press. But they can't do it for the whole game. They can't do it every single three days. And so that's where the game is going. We need to think about that a lot more when we talk about player types that we buy. We can't be thinking about our players on the ball anymore because all they do is they drop in and say they look at our two strikers say they're great strikers on the transition don't lick, don't give them space don't let them bring the ball up to them two strikers and play them in don't let Lacazette get back to goal in the box where he can lay it off or shoot you know shift and shoot but what we might do we might give them the outsides we might give them the the area outside the area and say go on then cross it into this area because we'll boss them in here because they're not very good in the air we haven't got that option and so we need to think about that and when we're thinking about our next purchases, for example. So this is where the game is. Organisation is optimal in most top-level teams. Athleticism is optimal in most top-level teams. The only time they are, can be caught is when they have the ball and they take away their passing lanes and pictures. City do it, Liverpool do it, all the top teams do it. We've done it this year. We started the process. I think we need to build upon it to make sure we are an on-the-ball team, but also equally as efficient off the ball, playing the right areas of the pitch, and then we'll progress and be a lot more consistent home and away in the league. Yeah, I think that's well said. I, for me, I, I think when I look at you know our, our game, our home game against Napoli and our home game against Valencia, I, I just think the single biggest sort of like easy answer, if I just want to use you know, my brain power. So not your brain power where you can think of things at multiple layers and have various conclusions that all connect to each other coherently. I just want one simple thing that I can hang my hat on that's punchy and easy to understand. And for me, it's just where Ganduzi and Chaka play. It's just their positioning. It's just being five, 10 yards further up the pitch. It's being in the face of the Valencia players and, and meeting them and contesting them five, 10 yards further back in, in their um, in their half of the pitch. And I think if you look at, you know, you know, these influence maps, like if you go to the stat zone app, you can select influence yeah. and you can see yeah. where players, um, you know, where players influence the match most, where their, their stats were accumulated. So I guess it's passing, it's tackling, things like that. Yeah. It's you sort can, of like average position in average some position, form. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Um, you can look at a game in the league 
where we picked a back three and didn't succeed, like like the Palace game, the first half of the Palace game where we were really, really poor in the back three. And you can see Ganduzi and El Nenny and they're like five yards inside their half. And then you look at the Valencia game or the Napoli game and the midfield two are five, 10 yards in the opposition half. And I think that makes all the difference for how this formation sets up. Um, Tim, why don't we expand a little on Shaka and Ganduzi's um, contribution? I, I thought that Shaka was kind of weirdly bad Shaka in a lot of periods of this game. And mm. Ganduzi came in for a lot of criticism he was tied for second on the team in ball recoveries. He misplaced two passes. Now, admittedly, early in the game, I thought him and Chaka, they didn't have their positioning right, and uh, they were very conservative with their passing. But I thought as the game grew on, you know, especially Ganduzi, he was getting in the way of passing lanes well. He was he was intercepting things. Shaq, on the other hand, the, the problem I had with him principally is that I, I thought you, you saw the flat-footedness was a problem time and time again. I'm not sure they make the best pairing. I, it feels like what we're crying mm-hmm. out for is one guy in midfield who was very mobile and athletic. And I think Torreira coming in was was meant to add some of that and did add some of that. But, you know, overall, how do you evaluate what they did and sort of their positioning throughout the match? Yeah, I I mean, I thought they both started terribly. Um, I thought Xhaka's yeah. first 15 minutes were, were nightmarish, really. And, and in a way, like, he was getting things wrong he doesn't usually get wrong. Like, for all his flaws, his his passings, usually, his touch is usually decent and is, is so long as it's on his left foot. Um, and his passing's pretty punchy. And those things were really off and he was getting caught on the ball and... Uh, you know, I'm not sure how press resistant Xhaka is, um, and that can be a problem. But even under not that much pressure, he uh, he looked, um, yeah, he looked, he looked really not very sure of himself. And um, but he and you know, to Clive's point about whether he's, I mean, he's been in out in and out of the team, hasn't he, with injury? He couldn't play that Palace game, and um, you know, he played the Watford game, but couldn't play against Palace and wanted to come off against Napoli and, you know, maybe, maybe he's not quite there yet. Um, and Genduzi, I think Genduzi is just at a stage where I, you know, I really like Genduzi, but I think he needs a secure presence next to him. Um, and he doesn't, all, well, I, I think, you know, a bit like a, you know, when you have a really good young center back and you think you're really good, but you just need like a senior partner next to you. That's what you need. Um, and you're fine. Uh, and I kind of think that about Genduzi and Genduzi next to someone who's not really doing it doesn't really work. But then you look at Genduzi's best game of the season, which in my opinion was away at Manchester City, who was the second best player that day. It was Torreira. Uh, it was Torreira and Genduzi. So I yeah. think because um, the thing is as well, Genduzi is he's not he's not like a structure player. Um, and in fact, again i wrote about this last week i think we have too many structure players who just stay in their position whereas i think gendouz is a bit a bit more kind of um all over the place usually in a good way but that looks much better when the guy next to him is you know the yin and yang is the yin in that kind of yin and yang so when he's got someone who's quite settled and controlled next to him i think that kind of um, yapping at ankle stuff that he does is quite good. But when his partner is not quite there, it looks really erratic and really bad. Mm. Um, and so once Xhaka came into the game, which he really did, 
Um, and this is, I guess, one thing I, I like about Xhaka. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd rather he didn't have to recover from his own idiocy. Um, but, but he does. Like, it doesn't seem to... It never seems to phase drops, him. <laughs> no, no. When he drops his two out of tens, it doesn't. it really doesn't seem to to bother him that much he does seem to have the kind of capacity to come back from it and so i think once he got a hold of the game genduzi i I think to many intents and purposes genduzi probably did a lot of the things he was doing um it's just it it depends on when that looks good and when it doesn't um and yeah i i i kind of i'm not convinced that Xhaka and Genduzi together is a is a fantastic partnership I I still think Xhaka and Torreira is is the best um you know without Ramsey is is the best midfield partnership we've got and um and it, yeah it was kind of it was a very Xhaka game because you got both Granite Xhakas you got the two out of ten Granite Xhaka for about 25 minutes and then you got the kind of seven eight out of ten Granite Xhaka thereafter um and Genduzi kind of mimicked that I think but um yeah, I, I think I, I read an interesting tweet from someone yesterday, which I think kind of sums up where we are with Xhaka, which is like he is important because of the qualities he brings. But maybe Arsenal need to think about whether he should be important and whether those qualities are like completely not repl- repl- uh, replicatable in any yeah. other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah one of those yeah. um, in like <laughs> any other player. So can we get a player who doesn't have those flaws <laughs> and just has those qualities and, and someone who's perhaps a bit more mobile and who doesn't need like 20 seconds to get the ball precisely onto his left foot. And, um, and, and the thing is about Torreira, one of, one of the things I don't think we've really used properly with Torreira is his passing range. We've kind of we've we've used the pressing and the ball recoveries and the tackles and that's been really good. But he's a really good passer as well, and I don't I don't think we've used like twenty percent of his passing range yet. Um, and and so of the two of them, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot going on physically and all of that. But of the two of them, if at the moment if there's one who starts every single game, I I guess I'd rather we depended on Torreira rather than Xhaka like you know Xhaka in his good games is really good and a really valuable player but it's it's very um box of chocolates you just you don't know what you're going to get and yeah it's it's so uh, in in many respects and and look central midfield is is so such a key area that this nearly always happens anyway but um your central mid like our central midfield performance completely told the story of the game which was it was an absolute tire fire for like 25 minutes and then after that they got a bit of control yeah and i look I, i'm gonna let you clive chime back in on, on central midfield i just want to make two points about it tim one i i think that Shaka and Ganduzi are actually opposite players. I think Ganduzi looks his best when he's just five or ten yards further up the pitch, and he can be in the attacking half. And, you know, I think his passing range isn't as good as Shaka's, but I think he has a good eye for a pass. But I think he likes to play the dagger ball five, ten yards, not 15, 20 yards. And I think he actually is, has a really good feel for stepping in the passing lanes and intercepting balls, but he's not great at tracking back and, and defending in space. I think Shaka likes to have the whole game in front of him. I don't think he ever mm. wants to be more than 10 yards from his defenders, you know, or five yards from his defenders. Yeah. I, I think he likes the security of knowing they're right there behind him as that safety net. He can look up and spray those 20-yard balls out to the wingbacks and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think they're two very different players. But to me, Clive, what, what the midfield is crying out for is some athleticism. 
I mean, it is just... Genduzi is technically very uh, skillful and I think can grow into a good player. Shaka has a great left foot. You couldn't ask for two more flat-footed, you know, let's just say not quick players. We don't have physicality or athleticism or pace in midfield. And it's something that's been dwindling and dwindling and dwindling over the years. And I look at this team now, and it was basically Aubameyang and Maitland-Niles. And it's why I would love to see Maitland-Niles become our box-to-box midfielder of the future because, you know, the the width of the shoulders, the the pace that he has, the initial burst, the strength on the ball, the ability to tackle standing up, if you could convert him into that, it would add something we haven't had for so long. I mean, for you is the problem with that midfield pairing, not that either player is not particularly good, but just that there's no physical advantage there. There's no athleticism. Yeah, you know me, uh, I've been talking about this for for years actually we we lack we lack i don't like to use it afraid because you mock me but we lack pace and power in there and um, i have never mocked you for pace and power <laughs> i've never mocked you for pace and power, pace and power and, uh, it, it, you just need that balance and i always say that other teams tell you what you haven't got right so leicester played chowdhury midfield they brought him in for that game whilst he got pace and power mm. right uh Valencia, they, the Akate, they normally play him at the back Stuck him in centre midfield. What's he got? Pace and power. Right? They are telling you what you what you what your weakness is. Always look at other teams how they set up. They tell you what they're telling you what you're giving them. Right? And and I, I think we lack it. I, I we can all I, I saw for the first time last night, I saw the start of the changing of the guard with with Shaka and Gwenduzi. I saw it. Uh, Gwenduzi's been off form, but he's fighting his way back. He's been rested. He's looking a bit better. You can see the player, the sparky player, trying to trying long diagonals again, trying the risky passes again. It's there. He's struggling, but it's it's like a little reminder. I've not gone anywhere. I need a summer holiday, but I'm still here and I still want to play. And I saw Shaka maybe a bit physically underpowered, maybe a bit injured, but not being so accurate, not so precise, making bad decisions. And I looked and I thought. Torreira's undroppable when he's fit. He brings something that we need in the Premier League. These two here are quite similar. He had El Nenny on the top. Three are quite metronomic and one paced. So that's three. You don't need three. One's got to go. One could develop away. And we need to add something else in there. When, and I thought when Mkhitaryan came in, he, he carried from deep really well. Um, but we can't trust him. Because the game before, I want him thrown in the bin, right? So we can't trust him. He came on looking great, but he can't do that job. He's a 30-year-old on 200k a week. So that's not the future. So we need some. We need somebody like <laughs> I don't want to mention his name because Arsenal fans don't like him, but I always liked him. But we need somebody like a Navigator or an Oxley. I love Navigator. Give me all of Navigator. I wish he wasn't a, playing well now, so we can have but, it. Yeah. But it's, just, it's, a, it's 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 that punchy driver from the centre of the pitch who can go two ways. Or you have somebody like a Chowdhury, somebody taller, a Decore, somebody that brings something else. When when this team grows up and goes to be a 4-3-3 team, then we can talk about midfield balance. If we're doing a three at the back, we're talking about, you know, in this with three at the back, I think Ramsey's missed in three at the back. I think he does a great job in three at the back because he can take more risk positioning. He can run laterally. He can go straight down the middle of the pitch, and he just disrupts. And when he turns around, he's got three central defenders there to, to mop up his mess. And it doesn't matter that he's 10 yards from where he should be because it just doesn't matter because he's already driven 
three players back with him. So positionally, we're more aggressive. And I can see how tactically it definitely suits him. These players, Guendouzi and Shaka, they want to stroke the ball. They want to feel the ball. They want to have touches. They're not thinking about hurting people. They're thinking about playing. And that's how we started the game. We just played. You know, we didn't really play with intent and direction and directness until we went a goal behind, then we started, right? So mm. th- that's the future. I see, I see, I saw the changing of the guard. It may be a year away, but the way Granduzzi plays, he gives us a lot of what Shaka does give. So one's 19, one's 26, 27 on a good contract. You can, you can finish that sentence off about what could happen in a, in a, in a, in a year or so's time, potentially. And, uh, and that's not a problem. That's what we should be doing. We talk about holding on to our our failures too long. Sometimes you have somebody who's quite successful, but you've seen his ceiling, and you say, you know what? Now's the time to move that's him. That's such While a good point, While his value is still there. That's such a good point, you, yep. Mm-hmm. You, we, uh, someone said to me, uh, I can't remember his name, it, it might be Emmanuel Lane, he said to me, we hold on to our successes too long. And I thought this through a bit more deeper, but that's a brilliant point. Lose them. It's not a problem. Yeah, that's so they're good. doing really. Yep. They're doing really well, but they're not going to improve. So we don't want them on a the decline. If we can do it with Patrick Vieira, we can certainly do it with Granite Shaka. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Lose them, and it's not a problem. We it, just renew and rebuild and create a new ceiling and keep the momentum going forward. You don't have to be courageous or clever to say let's sell Mustafi, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You have to be create courageous or clever to look at someone like Granite Shaka and say he is a good player. But we can't get where we want to go with that player. And selling him for $35 million right now lets us build a different kind of midfield. Maybe Could we you imagine Shaka at the base of Bayern Munich's midfield, just stroking the ball out to their multiple wingers? Yeah, sure. And, and with all the they time in the world, him. because he's well-protected oh and teams aren't going to come on to him the same way. You know, the one thing that I do notice in the Europa League, I, you know, and I don't know, Tim, maybe you noticed this as, as well. When we play in the Premier League, the one thing we don't like, especially because of the weaknesses of players like Shaka and Ganduzi and even Torreira a little bit, but not as much, teams are just snapping at our ankles in the Premier League, even the bad ones. Against Napoli mm. and against Valencia, I'd look up and I'd be like, God, these guys have five yards of space everywhere they go. And we just have too much quality. We're going to kill you if you give us that. Do you think that the the intensity of the Premier League makes the Europa League so much better? Because the one thing, I watched the Champions League this week and haha Spurs and haha Liverpool, but like... The intensity of those games was insane. Yeah, yeah. The level of the yeah. game. And then you look at our games against like Napoli and Valencia and the the lack of intensity and the, the time and space these players have on the ball. To me, that makes all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite interesting the way the Champions League has gone in recent years because you don't get these cagey games anymore. No, you do not. And you're getting <laughs> like tons and tons of goals in these knockout stages. Whereas, you know, a few years ago, it's very like nil, nil, one, nil or one, 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 nil. And now it's like four, one, three, two. And, you know, it's just become a far less cagey competition because the elite teams are playing with this kind of insane at- intensity. And I, I think that's really something that through in a stadium as well like sometimes you watch those games and when you're watching live you just think like christ that is like i cannot conceive of playing a football game like this do you know what i mean it's like like could you picture late late career pirlo playing late in the champions league anymore the way the game is developed yeah i I can't really see yeah 
probably not even like someone like Xavi Alonso, who's yeah, a terrific mm-hmm. player, um, you know, and, and may, maybe, um, and it might be a temporary thing, you know, because like tactical fashions change. Maybe guys like Xhaka are becoming outdated, you know, a bit like um, the old Ozil. Fox in the Box striker <laughs> and Ozil. Yeah, yeah, because the intensity is so high and the pressing's really high and the fitness is really good. Um, and lots of teams play on transition and all of that, and 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 you know, and so maybe like the deep lying playmakers of the future, yeah, maybe they need to be like um, someone like Genduzi who can kind of get around a bit and and do some of that himself. It's really really interesting. But I, I think you're right. I think um, in terms of the Europa League, I think also in the Europa League, uh, you know, our reputation is a bit better because we start the competition as one of the favourites and we get respect. And like I said earlier, that really suits us. Like even Rennes came to the Emirates with a 3-1 lead having, and they could have won that first leg more than 3-1. And they still shat themselves um, at the Emirates and they really needn't have. Um, I think Bartej Borisov was was something quite different. Um, but, you know, and, and Napoli, I think, couldn't live with our intensity at the Emirates. I and, totally agree, yep. And and to be fair, I always I always had a good feeling about that Napoli tie because sometimes it depends when you get a team, and I think we got Napoli at the right time when really their season's winding down. They weren't going to win Serie A. That they're on a little island in second place. So, and you look at their results building up to when they played us. They I I think their intensity for the season is gone. Um, Valencia I I was and continue to be a bit more worried about because if you look at how Valencia's season's gone basically what they've done is they've had a really horrible start but they've picked up and they're actually on like a fairly good run Um, but again last night that when they were playing with intensity they really scared us and then they stopped um, which which I was very pleased about but but found really odd so I don't know if it's just because maybe in this competition and maybe because Arsenal fans and whatnot we've stopped thinking about ourselves as a club with a big reputation but you know in this setting maybe we are and maybe we get that respect as a result and teams do come to the Emirates and sit off us but then again like I said teams in the Premier League do that at the Emirates as well and Mm. um, uh, I like long may that continue because I think once managers work out that they don't have to do that against us at home that that might be in trouble but um, yeah I, I, I think that has made all the difference because you know Napoli are a really good team um, and we made really short work of them yeah and I I think also that you know when we got the goal it was in a period where they were feeling really comfortable and I don't know if they could figure out whether to stick or twist yeah. and maybe they just felt we've got our away goal um, yeah. let's not have any more I, of that I think they definitely thought that yeah well look we got the third goal and that's really the one that changes everything I mean Tim do you, do you think just looking at Valencia who they were who they are who they have how they played um, you know, look, could Arsenal blow a three-one lead? We could blow any lead. Yeah. Could we blow a three-one lead to this Valencia? Did did they look like they had the quality to to turn this around in Spain? Um, not in this game. No, I I like I don't know enough about them and haven't watched them enough to say no indefinitely. And and as you point out, like Huddersfield gave us problems um away from home. So. Um, but I, I didn't. I, well, I did see that in the first fifteen minutes last night, and I guess that that like I, I don't think they have like super quality up front. Like I looked at Napoli, and I thought, right, I've heard about um, Insigne, I've heard about Mertens, I've heard about these players. 
um, even though I don't watch much Serie A. Um, I, I haven't heard that much about Valencia's attackers and um, from the reading I did before the game, it sounds like they're a, they're a very kind of solid team, uh, generally speaking. But I look at that first 15 minutes um, at the Emirates and obviously they're going to have to try and do that again. And this time, if they score one, they're not going to sit back on it um, for pretty obvious reasons. So for us, I think what we're kind of hoping for is rather hoping they've kind of given up the ghost a bit like Napoli or you know if we can if we can pick them off and score even if they score first and then we score and it's 1-1 then i i th- i think a goal will kill them um, yeah. we we have us. we have to play i think the same way we did in the the second leg against napoli and, yeah. and try to get the goal as we get, start to wrap get on up on the front foot yeah yeah I, I agree as we start to wrap up clive before we just say goodbye to this game and look forward a little bit one more performance i just want to highlight and that's kolasinac this is a player that I really struggle to understand. Uh, he 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 makes me feel confused. <laughs> um, he he gets up and down the pitch. Um, he overlaps a lot. He makes the the hurtful runs. He goes to the places where he can cause problems. He has no composure once he's in those positions. Um, technically, he's just not a, a very good footballer. Um, but then, of course, he goes and he makes what's really a lovely cross to pick out Aubameyang for an easy tap in third goal. So. I mean, you just talked about being willing to part with players who are good but not good enough. We got him on a free. We put him on big wages. We have no one else at the position right now. I mean, do you agree that he was kind of a mess in this game and that, you know, it just it starts to get old watching him run into these good positions on the wing and then smash the ball aimlessly? does <laughs> <laughs> my head in. What do, you want me, what do you want me to say? I'd love to know how many crosses he had in the game. He must have had about... Uh, he, he, if you if you're if you're wing back and you're getting three crosses maybe four that that's that's really good um he's getting he must be we're so left sided by us he's getting so many touches of the ball as a wing back uh, i think he his output then gets judged based on the amount of opportunities that he has if you look at the right side we were far more conservative and maybe Maitland Niles had far less crosses but we're not talking about him whereas Colosinac had six so, six crosses, one completed. That was the Aubameyang goal. Yeah, well, well, completed crosses, right? So there was a, there was one or two that he, he bombed a couple bit big, went a bit big on them, <laughs> but others he cut back into the area, and we just weren't there. You know, we there was one that rolled on just past Mkhitaryan that I'm remembering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what we're asking him to cross, Ozil passes into the box, he crosses into the box, and what I do like about him, he has got. He's got the power cross, he's got the fade, he's got the dink to the back post. I think he's got a quite a creative left foot for such a big body, right? He can dink when he's passing down the line, he can dink it, he can flick it over your leg. If it, I, I do look at the jobs we have to do going forward and the things we have to fix. I don't think we have to fix him just yet. Another year, maybe. I see us playing with a back three on occasion, and he is a very good left wing back. Now, we question his ability as a left fullback. So let's buy a left fullback or let's buy a, you know, let's buy a Monreal type replacement, somebody who can play left centre half and left back and we get two players in one. And then when we play wing back, we can still use that player. So that's what we need to do. I don't see him as a problem. I see potentially Monreal is the one to go on a free potential end of the season and we buy that player again. 
and we keep him for one more year and we look for a younger left wing back the year after and we get him off our wage bill then, you know, but I think he does a decent job. I think he's grown into this team. I think he's a major offensive part of this team. And because we know he can get in, because we know he's so powerful, because we know he's got the ability to find people, we then judge him on that. And I think, yes, on occasion, he messes up, but he's getting in and he's a threat. And I guarantee you on other teams' scouting sheet, he'll be one of the top names. We've got mm. to stop him. We've got to stop him getting in. A few weeks ago, we were talking about him as our only offensive option. Right, and um, there are so many teams that use that cutback option. I felt we were thick in the box actually on occasion. I agree with Tim's point earlier about Lacazette. Two two goals, one great goal, great thought process. But actually, he was pretty rubbish. He was pretty rubbish in this game. He worked back really well. Rubbish is a bit harsh. He wasn't as good as the, the headlines shown. He worked back. So the Bamiyang, Bamiyang was far better, far more threatening. He was he was the rapier on the day. And um, I felt we were a bit stupid in the box. We needed two, two, three lines of people. Well, put it this way: some of those cutbacks, if you know, but if there's my no, mate that's the problem. Ram, there's no, Ramsey was playing, yeah, there's, but there's no Ramsey. Right? There's so that's the problem. We don't have that guy. We don't have the guy arriving in the box. I mean, if you're going to play for wide positions, right, and you're going to play to get it to Kelsey Natcher, Maitland Niles, and have them either cut it back or cross it, you've got two strikers that are going to go to the near post and the far post, and who's making the secondary run? That Ozil well, doesn't go into those spaces. So what Ozil was doing quite cleverly, he was he was he was making the first run. He was collapsing people in and making people follow him. Very selfless, making people follow him, so he could play in the Bamiyang and Lacazette. I see why I felt Lacazette need to hang back a little bit more and not drive into the box because Ozil's already doing it, right? So the next phase for development for Guendouzi just to have to desire to push himself another five to ten yards further forward for either the set on the edge of the area or the side foot just beyond the penalty box. It's only it's only five to ten yards max. I think he's just happier sitting off. And you just need to push it a bit and feel the game and just push it a bit. That's the next phase of development. Because people are going to look at Granduzi and say, is he the Rams replacement? Do we already have him in the house? As soon as you mention Ramsey in the word replacement People start to look at goal outputs. Ramsey scored six goals this year, I believe. But they're goals we all sort of remember. They're like big goals. And when he scores goals, we never forget them. And I think people overplay his goal output. But he scores six or so goals this season. But they're always decent ones. You know, first goals or winning goals. Grandoozy's got to add that to his game. Five to ten goals a year. Then we can talk about him as a true centre midfielder. And yeah. that can really that we can trust to deliver come the big moments. To my point about Kolo Sinach, I, I just think this is a problem. He's so involved in our play. He made six crosses. Remember, crosses are not counted as passes. So when you hear passing stats, crosses don't count. So he put in yeah. six crosses and he completed one. Um, crosses are weird too. They're not always like from the wing into the box. For example, Granite Xhaka was credited with eight crosses, five accurate crosses. So put the crosses aside. Say Kolo Sinach played 62 passes. That's second most of any out, uh, uh, of any player. He completed the lowest percentage of passes of any outfield player in the game, 72%. If you have someone who's, you know, your second most involved guy completing at that lower rate, I do think it is going to be a problem for you. And it winds up putting you under a lot of pressure defensively when he loses it. And it also just breaks down possession. Every time you lose possession, that's a big deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, he also delivers the assist and he gets in a really dangerous position. So like a lot of our players, 
Yeah, you got Maitland Niles' numbers there, mate. Yeah, Maitland Niles was at what eighty five percent completion. Yeah, he was far more of a midfielder. Get He's it, great. Keep it, I love him. Rotate eighty five point seven percent. Yep. Get it, get it, rotate it, move it, retain it, keep it. He's playing right midfield as a wing back, and he's doing it very neatly. He's got he's got a very good left foot as well, by the way, of first time passes. He's quite two footed. He's developing very quietly in that position. What really is it about really players who wind up getting a right back position through injury that wind up being really good? That's how Bellerin did it, and that's how Maitland now is doing it. All right. He's I- developing into a footballer, but trust me, Colosseum it takes risks. He's our offensive thrust. That's what I'm trying to say. So I, I asked for his numbers because I, I knew they'd be better. But one person was more dangerous, and it was Kolasinac. Yeah, Kolasinac, look, Kolasinac is the the arguably the most danger-inducing in, player in our team. But I think if you're going to run that much of the attack through him, you can't have him misplacing a third of his 62 passes every game. Um, and look, we can move on from that. At the end of the day, it's a win. It's a 3-1 win. It puts us in good position to get through to the final where we will face Frankfurt because Chelsea are going to shit the bet at home. But Tim, just real quick look ahead to the league. Mm. There's, a, there's a tendency to be like, well, the league is gone so we can focus on the Europa League. Chelsea have to take max points from Watford home less yeah. away. You trust them to do it? Because I don't. If they drop any points in either of those games, if they don't win both, we win both. We're top four, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The manager can't get cute like he did with Palace. So what the fuck does he do? I mean, Koscielny walked off the pitch like a dead man. We've got, you know, the senior citizen brigade in the back line. Does he go to a Wobi, Mkhitaryan, Torreira, you know, behind a single yeah. striker, whether it's Lacazette or Aubameyang, and try to get the guys in who didn't start? I mean, how, do, how does he approach this yeah. game? It's Brighton at home. We should win it. But he got cute against Palace. It cost him. Top four is not gone. He cannot afford to assume it's gone. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And again, I, I think this is like a really peculiar thing where like even going back to like February and March, people are like, oh, we must put all of our eggs in the Europa League basket now. And look, no no manager does that unless it's like like us, in exceptional circumstances like us last season where the top four was just absolutely gone. Like you just you just can't do it like that. And I don't think you can switch things on and off. Now you have to make choices with team selection, and that's why I didn't have a massive issue with what he did against Palace, because at some point you've got to make choices. And ideally, really, you make them in your home games, um, if you have to, and you kind of do have to. But I, I think there's plenty of scope for good rotation here. Like you say, Torreira, Iwobi, Mikatarian, none of them started on Thursday play one of the strikers. Ozil had um, a nice big holiday in the middle of the season and didn't play much. He can play um, that, you know, that's not really a problem. Nacho was a substitute on Thursday night. He can come in for, for Koscielny. I, I think there's, there's plenty here for some like smart, gentle rotation and, you know, all this kind of, oh, we must, we must play like the under 12s because the top four has got like, it isn't gone. You're, you're quite right. We can't, we can't afford at this stage to look a gift horse in the mouth. Um, we can't afford to say that like to put all our eggs in one basket because they're, but they're both quite precarious. And I've always thought, look, you, you've just got to juggle and be a bit smart about it um, when you can. But I've, I've never like, 
the top four has never been far, nearly far away enough for me to say, oh no, just drop it and go all in for the Europa League. I just, I don't think it works like that. I don't think you can manage like that unless things have already gone tits up and you're in fight or flight mode. Um, you just can't, you know, you can't, you can't do competitive sport like that. I don't think, and I, I don't think, I don't think you can do life like that. Can you really like, you know, I'd, maybe this is a silly comparison, but do you do that in your job? Do you go, oh, I've got two really tight deadlines, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to completely fuck one of them off and not bother no, and do the other not. one. You fuck them both off, it's, obviously. Yeah, exactly, yeah, you just don't do either of them, <laughs> and then you blame people for, for not doing it. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? Sometimes in life, in work, in sport, sometimes, yeah, things are tough, and you've got to do, like, you've, you've got to multitask a little bit, but yeah, it, it's quite defeatist, I think, this kind of oh we lost the game we must drop the top four now like no fuck that we've got two games that we are perfectly capable of winning and Chelsea have got two games where they could very conceivably drop points so of course we've got to go for that and you know what there's only what like a maximum of four games left now and you know if we get to the final we've got two and a half weeks um, between like the final Premier League game and, and, and what the has Europa ever League gone final. wrong so. when we've had a two and a half week break? <laughs> oh, that's right. Which, we came back I mean, from the last one with could, nobody available. I think I'd argue that that's not really ideal, actually, um, yeah, to have that long. But if if we end up playing Chelsea, that they'll have you know they'll have the same issue. So yeah, I, I think gentle rotation um, and you know if if things go well, sixty minutes, seventy minutes, got the game won. Yeah, get some guys off. Um, but well, ooh, that sounded a bit wrong. <laughs> or a bit right, and no judgments. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it depends. You know, whatever floats your boat. Um, but yeah, if 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 after sixty or seventy minutes you tune up, um, yeah, go for it. Let's you know, let's bring Elne on and um, you know, give Jenkinson his 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 final salute and all of that. Um, but no, I, I'm not with this kind of defeatist. Let's, you know, put all our eggs in one basket. I don't think we have to do that, and I don't think we should do that. Yeah, well said. I, I will pull you up on one thing though, which is we kind of have to go for goal difference too. So, so we, we, you yeah. know, if we're two nil up or three nil up or four nil up, just keep going for it. That's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. Because um, because I'll take a smooth one nil over Burnley on the final day. That would be fine. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Quick prediction for the weekend, Tim. Um, I think we'll win 2-0, but um, I don't think it will be pretty or entertaining. Clean sheet. Love it. Uh, Clive, quick prediction for the weekend? Yeah, 1-0. One, 1-0 one nil. One nil uh, to the I Arsenal. Think, huh? I think Chelsea will draw. And um, You think we're going to finish top four still, don't you? Yeah, I think we'll go to the last. I think we'll go to the last game. We'll probably mess it up. All the hand wringing. We're going to win the Europa League and finish top four. Jesus Christ! All right. Well, you know what? Chelsea got two hard games, mate. They really have. um, That's why they're not very good. They're they're not stupid. They rested Hazard last night because they know what's coming. They know what's coming. It's a home game versus Watford, and Chelsea are. You know, we we focus on Arsenal, obviously, but. You know, Chelsea, Man United and Spurs, none of them putting up trees, are they? Right? Yep. They're, they're all in a bad shape and we're just limping, limping along. If we can limp along a little bit better than them, like Koscielny did last night, then maybe we've got a chance. Any, anyone for Spurs to lose both of their remaining league games? <laughs> we finish it could, easy, them it could easily happen. It could easily happen. <laughs> Don't they play United on the last day or something? <laughs> Everton. Oh, is it Everton? Everton. Oh, okay. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Um, all right. Well, anyway, that's enough of that. I think 80 minutes is long enough. 
all things, uh, all good things to those people who listen live. Uh, thanks for bearing with us. Uh, to those of you who are currently listening in your life live, uh, thank you for doing that as well. Um, We'll have more stuff coming out, obviously, one after the Brighton game. We've got a new Patreon podcast set for next week, so that'll be fun. Hope you'll join us for that. And if you don't, that's fine, too. In any event, uh, Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. It is your pleasure, as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Welcome back, Clive. Thank you. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Paul. Absolutely do it. I can't encourage you to do that strongly enough. But uh, yeah, we we love you. We appreciate you for being here through the thick and thin. This was thick. Thankfully, we like it when it's thick. Leave that alone. Um, yeah, but more good Arsenal stuff to come. Be very interesting to see what happens at the weekend. So I uh, love you. Talk to you soon. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Brighton nil. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.